think that was the first time anybody's ever prayed for Grant Lowe in chapel. <laughs> Nobody calls me by my name anymore. It's very weird. Um, <clears throat> are you guys tired? No, for, for real. Like, it's that time of the semester. Are you kind of soul tired? Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit soul tired and just want to encourage you. It's, it's not bad. Um, and I pray that you can see it as an invitation by the Father to uh, draw in close to him, for him to be your refuge um, at this time. Just a, a brief word of encouragement there. Um, draw into him. Don't hold him at arm's length um, when you're tired at this point in the semester. Um, we're going to look at a passage this morning that, that I find incredibly uh, hopeful and inspiring. Um, after looking at uh, the sacrifice, uh, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac and the narrative uh, about a week ago, we're going to follow up and look at a passage out of Romans chapter 4, um, the Apostle Paul talking about the faith of Abraham and kind of reflecting um, back and sharing with us some things that we don't necessarily get from the narrative in Genesis. Um, but as we get there, uh, it's a passage about faith. So it's something I've been thinking on and kind of ruminating on and um, looking at my life and the things that I put my faith in. Um, and when we talk about faith, I want to be clear what faith is. Hebrews talks about it. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we, what we do not see. And I find that I put my faith in a lot of different things. Um, I tend to put faith in people. Um, I know that I put my faith in myself. Um, but it's interesting in thinking about faith. Uh, when we put faith in people or self, um, we are changed, I think, most fundamentally when faith is broken. So when you think about when we place faith in others, ourselves, and things, when we're impacted most by that faith is not when it holds true, but when the faith is broken. When we place faith in a person who hurts us, a person who lets us down, um, in a thing that we had faith in that lets us down, and we realize that our faith was unwarranted in those things. And it can be devastating. Um, it can, can um, truly be devastating in our lives. So faith can end up rendering um, a pain that is so deep that we might uh, conclude that faith is dangerous or maybe even an unwanted thing. But there is a faith that is wholly different, one from which issues forth the amazing and the unexpected. So we're going to talk about Abraham and we're going to talk about faith um, but I'm going to show a video. Um, there was a, a photographer by the name of Nathan Nixon, and he started this in the 1970s, and you'll see. He took a photo of his wife and her three sisters over the course of 40 years. And I want you to watch because we're going to be talking about Abraham's life from 75 to 100 and on. And I just want you to get a feel and a sense of time passing. So can you hit that video? And kill the sound. It sounds really bad.
we please stand as we read God's word? Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised to do. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Gracious God, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it is a source of life and breath. Uh, Please be with us now by your spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please see it. Um, I so, watching that video, um, I don't know the promises and the heartbreak, the stories there, but I, watching it, how do you not want to know those things? Um, but Abraham did have a promise. Um, God had given him a promise, so shall your offspring be. But we're told in Romans chapter 4, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Against hope, Abraham believed. And the reality was this, in the face of staggering circumstantial evidence that God's promise would be broken, Abraham still believed it. He still believed this promise when God said, so shall your offspring be. Um, So what we want to do is just back up, give a quick overview of Abraham's life so we understand how this promise is playing out over the course of time. And remember, you watched those women go from young to getting older. Um, Abraham was called at 75 years old when he was already significantly older than that last photo there. So at 75, God calls Abraham, tells him to leave his land, and he gives him a promise. There's going to be a new land and descendants to fill it. So 10 years pass, 10 years in no no fulfillment, and at 85 years old, the Lord again speaks to Abraham. He confirms his promise. He tells him, Abraham, look up, count the stars if you can, your descendants are going to be like that. And Abraham uh, asks, understandably, Lord, can you give me some kind of a sign that this is going to happen? How will I know for sure? And God gives him this crazy thing that takes place. He tells tells him, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. Take a, a cow, a goat, and a ram, each of them three years old and a couple of birds. And here's what I want you to do. Cut those animals in half and set them across from one another. So Abraham takes the cow, the goat, and the ram. He cuts them in half, and he lays them out, and he puts the two birds at the top. So you've got this incredibly bloody, um, sacrificial-looking scene going on. Vultures come down. Abraham shoes them off. Scripture tells us that the sun sets, and when the sun sets, God puts Abraham into a deep sleep. And when he's in the deep sleep, he again confirms his promise. He tells him, you're going to have descendants as numerous as you can see. They're going to be slaves for 400 years, but when, the, when they're ready and when the land is ready, they will inherit it. And then this crazy thing happens. God shows up in his theophanic presence, a fire pot and a flaming torch, and he walks through these animals that are cut in half. 
And it may seem like just an odd story, but it's incredibly important because here's what happened. In the ancient Near East, first millennium B.C., um, when a king and a subject would make a treaty, here's what they would do. A king would say to the subject, you're my subject, and I vow to protect you. But you as my subject have to vow loyalty to me. And they would oftentimes have what was called a covenant-cutting ceremony where they would take animals and they would kill the animal or they'd cut the animal in half. And sometimes they'd cut the animals in half and then the subject would walk through the animals saying, if I ever break my allegiance and my loyalty to you as my king, what has happened to these animals can be visited upon me. The blessing is that you'll protect me. The curse if I break our loyalty and our oath, is that I will be treated as the animals are treated. The king never walked through the animals. But here, the living God, the creator of the universe, the one who's made the promise to Abraham, comes. And in his theophanic presence, the fire and the smoke, he walks through, swearing an oath on himself and on his very life that if he breaks his oath, that will happen to him. And Abraham sees that covenant-cutting ceremony, sees God's promise and that God has promised on himself, and he remembers that covenant. Well, he remembers the covenant 85 years old, and five more years go by. And at 90 years old, God speaks to him again, and he gives him another new covenant, a sign for his descendants when they come. He's giving him a sign for what his descendants will do, and he doesn't have descendants. They're to circumcise every boy who is born. And again, Abraham waits. Now, when we're reading the story of Abraham, we don't know all of the things going on in Abraham's heart and in his mind. We don't know what's happening with his faith. faith. But Paul tells us, he says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. So following the covenant cutting, following the word about circumcision, years pass again. And Abraham keeps getting older. His body continues to change. His skin wrinkles even more. His eyes get glassy. You've seen old people's eyes, they get glassy. His ears get longer. It's harder to see and hear and walk. He has to get up two or three times every night to pee because that's what happens. His body, he realized, was as good as dead. But it wasn't just his body. Sarah's hair was white, menopause was a distant memory, and her womb was dry. Nine more years pass, and he faced his circumstances without weakening in his faith, reckoning that God could do and had the power to do what he promised to do. So God shows up and promises again at 99 years old that he and Sarah will have descendants by a son from their bodies. And they laugh at the possibility. I think it's a good, wise laugh. Um, But God promises they're going to have children from their bodies. Um, As a bit of an aside, and I think this is, well, so finally, at 100 years old, um, they conceive. And no one doubts that the conception is at the hand of God. Something good to point out here. Um, This means and I hadn't thought about this a lot before, but this is a good thing, that Abraham and Sarah were sexually active at 100 years old, which is encouraging. (laughs) 
I tell, I tell people I'm doing premarital counseling with, but, um, you know, when you're 20, you think everything's going on. Um, but sex at 30 in a covenant marriage is way better than sex at 20. And sex at 40 is way better than sex at 30. Sex at 47 is better than, and I can't speak beyond that. But, um, but, but, but at 100, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, yeah. Um, You just know your partner. Like, that's why covenant marriage, right? Uh, yet God did not, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So Paul now reflects on Abraham's heart. As remarkable as it is, he did not doubt God's faithfulness. Over 25 years, he didn't doubt God's faithfulness. I don't think that means that he didn't have questions. He didn't have earnest prayers um, or how God was going to do it. But in the the end, Abraham was able to see the passing of time um, as something that strengthened his faith because he believed that when God acted, it would be more wonderful because of the circumstances. He had what, what is, I think, true perspective, right? He was able to view circumstances from a place of faith instead of the other way around, viewing place under the weight of circumstances. Um, I, was, uh, I was just watching um, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King again, um, and it happens a little bit different in the movie than it does in the book, but it's, it's a great... Uh, Aragorn and Gandalf and, and Legolas and Gimli and um, Pippin and Mary's back, but they're all there at the, at the gates of Mordor, right? And the, the armies of the West are there with them, um, and they don't know what's happened to Frodo, um, but they go up and they ride up to the gate and the mouth of Sauron comes out, the emissary of, of the Dark Lord, and um, he, he taunts him a little bit and then he throws, remember the coat of Mithril, the Mithril coat that Frodo had been wearing, throws it to Gandalf um, and tells him that, that Frodo is tortured and dead and, um, and they all are, you can see, crestfallen because that means the, the journey is at an end and their hope is dashed. Um, but Aragorn rides up on his, his horse and breaks out Narso and cuts the guy's head off and says, I won't believe, I don't believe it. He had this like amazing faith in Frodo. And what's cool is I have no interest in anybody having faith like that in me. But I want that type of faith in the Lord. And that's what Abraham had, perspective of circumstance from a place of faith. And scripture says, this is why it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. Now, we talked, I mentioned at the beginning about the fundamental changes in our lives being affected by faith being broken. And I think that's true when you talk about faith outside of the Lord. But the Lord turns that upside down. He ties faith to something completely unexpected. Now, try to remove from your mind for one second, if you can, what you know of being righteous, right? Righteousness in Christ. Like, break it for just a second and pretend you don't know anything about it. What is righteousness for Abraham? Righteousness is about moral conduct. Righteousness is about behavior. It's about how you act before God in order to please God. But with Abraham, God reorders our understanding of what righteousness is. In the eyes of God, righteousness is not determined by behavior, but by belief. It's about the heart and about faith. Abraham believed God was faithful. 
He trusted that he would do what he said, and he gave glory to God, and God credited his faith to him as righteousness. Not about behavior, not about action, but about faith. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Not only was Abraham's faith credited to him as righteousness, but all who believe after the pattern of Abraham, all who believe in the promises of God, who believe in the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. And then Paul zeroes in on the source of that righteousness. He zeroes in on the source of our faith. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Nowhere do we see Abraham's faith. We talked about this last time. Nowhere do we see his faith more clearly than in his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac, believing so firmly in God's promise that he reasons that if he does actually sacrifice him, that God will raise him from the dead. But as we know, God provided the sacrifice of the ram in Isaac's place. And generations later, God provides Jesus, the spotless lamb, to be delivered to death in our place, raised to life for our justification. The Lord made a covenant-cutting ceremony with Abraham, demonstrating his faithfulness, and the Lord allowed his son to be bled and hung on a cross, demonstrating his love. So we become declared righteous by faith in the righteous one, whose death justifies us before the Father. When Abraham told Isaac as they were walking up the mountain that God will provide the lamb, this is the lamb that he was talking about, the spotless lamb who died in our place that we might be declared righteous and that we might be justified. And that word justified, simply broken down, simply means this, that when God looks at you and God looks at me, instead of seeing us as sinners, he instead sees the righteousness of Jesus and declares us forgiven and righteous. And I want to be really clear here, though. When we talk about that, we talk about God looking at you and seeing you as righteous. It's not that he can't see you as you actually and truly are. It's not that he's blinded by the blood of Christ. He sees you exactly as you are. But the imputed righteousness of Jesus covers your sin and your brokenness. And God calls you my son, my daughter. Uh, Herman Bovink, when he's talking about the covenant of grace, says this. He says, in a word, though in the Old Testament all of the benefits of the covenant were present, they were present only in the form of types and shadows. The reality of the thing itself was largely, if not totally, lacking. Here's what that means. It means that Abraham's intimacy with the Lord is dwarfed by the intimacy we have with the Lord. It means that Abraham's access to the Father is eclipsed by our access to the Father. What it means is the faith that Abraham had placed in the right place a faithful man with faith in a faithful God. We look at that and we know the full story. We have access to the throne room of God by virtue of the one seated at the right hand of God that we can pray to. We have Jesus as our mediator, as our brother, 
as our friend, as our Savior, as our Lord and our King. This is our faithful God. Faithful to Abraham, faithful through all of salvation history, and faithful to us, who looks at us and calls us righteous and justified because of his faithfulness. So when we think about faith in one another, the faith that can devastate and destroy, draw into the faith that is perfect and good and true and that brings life. Faith in the Father who loves us, who declares us his own by virtue of his faithfulness. Amen?